Hey, well, thanks for coming out tonight. I know there's a thousand other things you could be doing, so thanks for being here, and uh, I'm hope, hoping you'll walk out with a lot of perspective and insight on what God's been doing in your life. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say thank you, first of all, to Melanie. She did a stellar job putting this workbook together. So, yeah, this is just... So you guys are actually the first ones to go through this in this format. So this is going to be the small group material that we'll be using in the back of the book when it comes out in March. So in, in some ways tonight, you guys are actually kind of like test, test guinea pigs, if that's cool. Uh, so there might be something that uh, if I stop, uh, an interesting thing about sharing this kind of stuff is the more you do it, the more kind of revelation you get in your head about stuff. So if I stop in the middle of something and have to write myself a note, you know, just, just ignore me, just Keep moving along. Because uh, every time I share this, I get a little bit more clarity on, on it. You know, people, when you write a book, people think you're an expert on something, and little do they know, most books I write, I, I'm just trying to figure it out, man. <laughs> That's what I'm writing the book for. So, uh, so we're going to talk uh, tonight about this idea that we talked about this morning, that God is always at work in our lives, but most of the time we don't see it or understand it. You only, life has lived forward, but we only understand it looking backwards. And as you live your life more and more, you find yourself coming back to these certain themes, these certain things. You're like, oh, we're doing this again or, oh, that again. But every time you do it, you're a little bit different. And maybe God even looks a little bit different than he used to to you. And so throughout this journey, he's expanding us. He's pushing us out like we talked about this morning. He, the love, God's love is compelling us outward to become all that we're called to be. And I believe that the way he does it is, you know, King Solomon, he says in Ecclesiastes 3, is that there is a time and a season for everything under heaven. So if you haven't noticed this, life happens in seasons. And there are some seasons that are just maybe just really wonderful, wonderful seasons. And then there are other seasons that you're like, let's just move on past this season real quick. I don't like this season. This is a horrible season. But in each season, God is at work doing something. There is a purpose to what he's doing. And I believe, I'm, I've concluded, as I've been writing this book, that in every season, there are nine stages to the season. And at any given point in your life, you can look at one of these stages, and this is, this is kind of the formula up here. If you want a little, I know it's kind of hard to read up there, but in the first page of your workbook here, this is kind of what we, I've established as I think are the nine stages. Now, this look, may look really familiar to some of you, because if you've ever studied writing or studied um, how do you make a movie, this roughly follows what would be called the hero's journey. If, you, if you've ever watched a movie or read a book and really studied it, you've probably seen that every book or every story is the same story told differently with different characters. And you go, what do you mean? Well, every story has some certain components. It usually starts off like this. A character is living their own life, their, their life minding their own business. You think Luke Skywalker, right? He's just working with his uncle, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, an inciting incident, a turning point happens. He finds two droids, and then he sees this hologram that says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And he says, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi? And the next thing you know, he's thrown into this intergalactic battle, right? There's this turning point that happens for every hero. Dorothy, the Wizard of Oz, she's minding her own business, and whoosh, she gets swept up into Oz from this tornado. They're minding their own business and something happens that changes the course, changes the direction of their life. That's what we call the turning point. 
And then a level of courage is required. Most of the time, the hero runs from the call or they're forced into the call. You think about King Solomon, whenever, or King Saul, when he was called to be the king, the first thing he did is he ran and hid. Oftentimes when a call presents itself, a turning point presents itself, it comes with a lot of uncertainty, unknown things, so there's this fear that comes with it. Courage is required, but then eventually a guide shows up that helps the hero along the way, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you're in the Matrix, it's ne- uh, uh, Morpheus helps Neo in the Matrix. Every story, there's a, a hero that comes along. Gandalf comes along to help Frodo, who's been thrown into this battle to get rid of the One Ring, right? There's always a guide that shows up. And at some point, the hero has to fully commit to the journey. That would be, that's what I call the decision. Then the hero faces a series of challenges, one after another. And it's just like, can't things get better? And things go from bad to worse to worser. That's not really a word. I'm a writer. But uh, they go worse and worse. And then they come to this dark cave where they have to face off. Like Luke Skywalker has to face off with Darth Vader, right? Frodo goes into Mount Doom and he has to decide, am I going to use this ring for my own power? Am I going to destroy it and save Middle Earth? There comes this dark cave and it's this dark moment where it's like everything seems, all hope seems lost. But at the last minute, the hero emerges and they go on a journey home. And that's what this last stage is here. You see that it says the resolution is the denouement if you, in book writing. And then they have this new perspective and they go back and share what they've learned with those in the, the Shire or back on Tatooine or wherever they go back to. And eventually they emerge from that season with a message and a, they've solved a problem and they had, now have a message to share. And I believe that is roughly what God is doing in every season of our lives. In every season of your life, if you look at it, you can break it down into one of those nine stages And there's certain things to expect in every stage. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the first six stages in these first sessions. We'll do a little first three stages, do some dinner. Then we'll do the second second three. And then on Wednesday, we'll wrap it up with how to figure out what, as you work through the workbook throughout the week, we're going to look at how to figure out what is the unique message God has given you to share and what is the problem that that message is going to solve in the world? Because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them right now. So he has been preparing you all along the way. Cool? When I was uh, 11 years old, my dad called our whole family into my sister's room, and he announced that he was going to ruin my life. That's not actually how he presented it. But uh, in my mind, this is what I heard. He said, we're going to move our family to Guatemala, Central America, to be missionaries. Now, my parents had gone on a mission trip to Guatemala, and I knew that all I knew of Guatemala is what they showed me in the videos, right? So they showed me poor kids living in shacks. They showed the civil war happening in the mountains. There was a civil war happening where you couldn't tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. Like, it was just bad. Everybody was bad. Lots of violence, lots of poverty, and he's like, we're going to move down there. And I was devastated. Like, my life, I was in middle school, things were just starting to look up for me. I was starting to sit with the cool kids at lunch, you know, and um, I was actually, like, getting somewhere in my, my Little League baseball career. I was actually getting somewhere with that, and he was about to ruin all that, and I was so devastated. We moved, our family moved to Guatemala, Central America, and that became a turning point that really changed everything for us. Well, within a few weeks of us getting there, we experienced our first earthquake. Guatemala is on a fault line. It's actually the, the remnant. It's what's left of the San Andreas Fault. It works its way all the way down to, through Mexico and into Guatemala, down through uh, Salvador and Nicaragua. 
So we had this, this crazy earthquake, and I had never experienced an earthquake before. I was 11 years old, and the rest of the day, if you've ever been in an earthquake, like, the rest of the day, you're kind of like, is the earth moving? Like, having the earth move beneath your feet makes you start to question everything. Like, you're always like, you stop, and you're like, are we moving here? Then the crazy thing was, a couple days later, all the volcanoes started going crazy. They had to shut the airport because there was like all this volcanic ash going up in the air, and they had to shut everything down. It made the, the sun just blocked out the sun. I was like, is this the apocalypse? Did we move to Guatemala right in the middle of the apocalypse? And I went to a missionary, and I was talking to him about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, are we all going to die? You know, I was 11 years old. And he's like, no. He said, no, this always happens when a season changes. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, in Guatemala, we have two seasons. We have the rainy season, and we have the dry season. And he said, you know that seasons are about to change when everything starts to shake and the volcanoes start blowing up. But it's not the end of the world. It's just a season change. And I thought, that's a really good picture of what most season changes look like for us, isn't it? When something comes along that changes everything, the world starts shaking. Remember when you had that first kid? Woo! That's a change. You had all your idealistic plans for how things were going to go down when that baby came into the world. <laughs> then the baby came into the world, and you're just like, ah. Anytime there's a change in our life, the earth starts to shake. Maybe things get a little bit darker. Things aren't as clear. But it's not the end of the world. I'm pretty convinced we'll know when it's the end of the world. It's just a season change. And I, I know this, mor- uh, this, this afternoon that a lot of you maybe uh, have recently gone through a season change. You know, COVID was a turning point for a lot of people. We talked about that security connection and control, that triangle this morning. If you think about it, COVID affected all of those. It was a threat to our security. We didn't know what we were dealing with at first. Uh, then it was a threat to our connection. They're like, hey, you got to stay at home and not talk to anybody and like do everything on Zoom. And we're like, oh, you know, some of you extroverted people were like, I'm going to die. It's like, no, it's just, we, we got locked away. And then our control too, right? Everybody's telling us what we can and can't do. And if you're a control freak like me, I'm like, you ain't going to tell me what to do. No way, government, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. And COVID became a turning point for a lot of people. And, and turning point is basically a moment when everything in your life that you've known up to that point starts to change. And sometimes we welcome the turning point. Like having a kid, we're like, yay, this is wonderful. But it changes everything, right? Marriage can be a turning point. Everything changes. If it doesn't change after you get married, let me point you to a marriage counselor. Some stuff needs to change once you get married. For some, man, the turning point came when you got that medical diagnosis. And they said, you have this. You have that. And you're going to have to do this for the rest of your life in order to stay at the level that you want to stay at. I've heard people tell me that their turning point was when, they, when the first time they experienced something that became an addiction for them. Uh, maybe it's alcohol or drugs or maybe it's pornography, but that, that became a turning point where all of a sudden everything changed in their life. For some, it was an abandonment or a betrayal or a divorce. We have all these different turning points that happen in our lives, but it always starts, a new season always starts with a turning point like that. Maybe the loss of a job, maybe a promotion. And when it happens, it, it usually doesn't come on our terms. Even if we thought it was going to come on our terms, we're like, yeah, I welcome this. It doesn't turn out quite like we thought it, it would. And, and what, what, it, what tends, up ha- tends to happen is uh, you kind of have to decide how you're going to approach the unknown that's coming. And psychologically, there's two ways that we can deal with the unknown. One is you can see yourself as a victim. Like, you didn't sign up for what happened. You didn't sign up to get the cancer diagnosis. Like, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. But it did. 
I didn't sign up for my kid to have some special needs. Like, this is not what I was expecting. Everything's going to be fine with my kid. I did not plan to be a divorced person. But you find yourself, it happened. And when it happens, we've got two ways that we can look at it. And psychologically, you can look at it as a victim. And when you look at it as a victim, you go into self-protection mode. You all of a sudden, we go back into that small circle we talked about this morning. We're like, whatever it takes, I've got to protect my security, my sense of connection, and my sense of control. And God's all the while saying, no, I need you to keep pushing forward. And, but you're like, no, no, I've got to protect, 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 protect myself. Or the other option is you can see yourself as an adventurer. And here's what happens. When something new happens and you choose to willingly take on the adventure, your mind goes from victim and small mindset, it actually shifts into learning mode. When you see yourself as an active participant in the adventure, your mind actually shifts into a new mode. And so you've got the decision to make when the turning point hits, how am I going to respond to this? You can't control what happens. I've seen a lot of people, they ask themselves, why, why, why? And I've found that why is not a good question to ask in the middle of a struggle. Why is for later, how is for now. How am I going to respond is the question you've got to ask yourself. Because there may not be good answers right now. And if you're looking for answers right now for the why, if you've just hit a turning point, you may not find good answers. You might just find yourself frustrated and angry with God. The bigger question is to say, right in the middle of this, right now, how am I going to respond to this? And I would, I would encourage you, if you see yourself as an adventurer, it will change everything. Literally, psychologically, it will change the chemistry in your brain. And you will shift into learning and growth mode. And you'll start to say this, hey, this is a chance to grow. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul says we rejoice in our suffering. Like, I'm not quite there that I can rejoice in suffering. But the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, what's going to come from this suffering? I can't honestly say when suffering comes, I'm like, yay, woohoo, suffering. But I'm learning that more and more that if, if you can shift to say, okay, what's God going to do in the middle of this? It changes everything for you. And really, what's the better option? Seeing yourself as a victim isn't an option because that goes nowhere good. You start blaming, you start becoming resentful, you start becoming angry about how life just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to be. The only real option is to see yourself as an adventure, adventurer. I love something G.K. Chesterton says. He says this, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. An inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered. So how are you going to see the adventure, the inconvenience, the inconvenience of the illness, the inconvenience of, of everything that's happened, all of the, the things that have seemed like a setback? How are you going to choose to see those? It really is up to you. Are you going to willingly embrace the adventure or are you going to resist and fight and go, God, why are you doing this to me? As if some sort of unique burden has been placed on you. And listen, there is a unique burden placed on you. Jesus says that. We've all got to carry our burden. But he says, if you'll link up with me, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We all have a burden to carry. But if you'll link up with him and trust that he's with you in the middle of it, that can change everything. And that can give you the courage to move forward. Because we talked about this morning, it's his love that gives us the courage to move forward. But we have to overcome some fears. And that's the next stage in the journey. The hero has to choose to conquer some fears. And look, fear shows up in all, it has all sorts of faces. Okay, so if you look here in, in, in the section, see if you can relate to any of these, okay? One is analysis paralysis or overthinking. I've seen so many people that they, you know, the, Google is a good thing until it's not a good thing. So many people have researched themselves out of the adventure. 
They feel like God's calling them to start a business or something, and they start researching and investigating all of a sudden. They're like, oh, oh, no. They, they've, it's analysis paralysis. They've spent so much time trying to make sure that every variable is accounted for, which, listen, planning is a good thing, but there comes a point where you can't Google it. You just have to move out on faith, and you have to say, I know Google says this, all this, but God's calling me to do it, and I'm going to do it. Sometimes it's a fear of failure that gets in our way. I've seen so many people, they're like, well, what if I fail? And I'm like, look, you probably will fail. So get over it and move on. But it's not a failure if you learn from it. Some of the greatest heroes that we all admire, the reason we admire them is because they failed and failed and failed and picked themselves up time and again until they hit that one moment, that destiny moment, and they learned along the way. Another one we see is a feeling unqualified or disqualified. When I first started leading outdoor adventures, I would regularly get emails from people and they would say, who are you certified through to lead outdoor adventures? And I'd get really insecure because I'm not certified through anybody. I'd be like, God, I don't know who I'm certified through. And I would get really, and I'd be like, well, you know, blah, 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 I'm leading. And, And the funny thing is I would find out later that what those people were asking is they were actually asking, how do I get a job with you? I want to do what you're doing. And you know, the, the crazy thing is, uh, Reinhard Bonnke said this one time. He said, those who forever seek the will of God are overrun by those who do it. So many times in life, the people that become the expert are the ones who just go for it, even if they don't exactly know what they're doing. And then other people come behind you like, who do I need to get certified through? And you're like, you don't need to get certified through anybody. You just need the courage to do what God's called you to do. And so many times we're looking for one more certification, one more degree, and look, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, education is tremendous. It's like a key that's on your, on your uh, keychain. Like education will get you through some doors. Nothing else will. But there are some things you just can't get an education for, and God will call you to do it, and you just got to step out and do it. And the crazy thing is, I've heard it said this way, the first guy through the wall is, is always the bloodiest, but then once he gets through, everybody's like, oh, we can go through that wall over there? Like, you may be the one that's called to just break through the wall that everybody says you can't be broken through, but then once you get through it, people will start following you because you become the leader because you obeyed what God has called you to do. So if he's calling you to do something today, maybe you're in that stage right now where it's the courage is required, and you're saying, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this. You've heard this. It's the classic cliche, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If he's called you to do it, now I, I love what, you know, Peter uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he starts preaching and everybody's like, they looked and it says, they were like, who are these unlearned fishermen to be preaching with this much authority? And it says, they realized that they had been with Jesus. That was their qualification. They had been with Jesus and that was all the courage they needed, the Holy Spirit empowering them. Another one that we, a lot of times is, is the right timing. We get afraid, we're like, what if it's the wrong timing? And listen, so much of life depends on timing. But sometimes God will ask you to do something at what could be the worst possible time. You're like, God, this is a really bad time to be starting a business. Have you seen the economic projections? This is a very bad time to be doing this. This is a very bad time to be stepping out and investing in this. God, look, the inflation is insane, but God will often, I've learned this, man. I try and save God money all the time. He doesn't seem to care. Like he wants good stewardship, but oftentimes he'll call me to do stuff. I'm like, this is the worst time to do this. He's like, just trust me. I got this. And oftentimes God will call you to step out at the worst possible time. You say, well, let me just wait till there's a little bit more in the retirement account. He's like, nope, I need you to do it now. Let me just wait till the kids get out of the house. And he's like, nope, I need you to do it now because he knows what's the perfect timing. 
And oftentimes we're thinking it's perfect timing. And we sit around and we're waiting and we're waiting. And oftentimes we say, I'm waiting on God. And they're like, no, actually God's waiting on you to move. He wants to bless your endeavors, but he's just waiting on you to step out in faith. Another one is, is, is looking uh, foolish. Uh, this is, which honestly, this is what we call pride. <laughs> you know, whenever you start anything new, you're going to look foolish. And if you may be the first person in your family to do anything like this and God calls you to do it, you're going to be like, what if I look foolish? What if I look dumb? Look, there's a good chance you will look dumb when you start. I have so many trips that I did, at outdoor adventure trips that I started doing. When I look at them, I'm like, I had no clue what I was doing. But people had grace. They knew I had no clue what I was doing, but they let me do it anyways. And little by little, I've learned along the way. And Epictetus, he was, he was a famous Stoic. He said this. He said, if you want to improve, be content to look foolish and stupid at first. Everybody starts out looking foolish, but our pride sometimes gets in the way. And we're like, man, if I step out and do this, what are people going to think? Which leads to the next one. Oftentimes, opposition, fear of opposition, if you see there, uh, is a big one. What are people going to say? If I tell people I'm doing this, what are they going to say? And we live in this world right now where anybody can say anything. Joe Sixpack, who has never done a thing with his life and is living in his parents' basement, can comment on your Facebook about something he thinks you're doing wrong. Should you listen to that person? There's no reason to listen to the person. You will never get criticized by somebody who is doing more than you. The people who will criticize you are always people who are doing less. Maybe they're resentful. Maybe they're angry that they didn't step out and do their own thing. But so many times, I've got a guy I'm working with right now, tremendous musician, but he's terrified of what people are going to say. I'm like, you know what? People are going to say all sorts of stuff, but who cares? You know, again, we live in this world where anybody can say anything. And, and, and oftentimes, it's a very small group of very loud people that are running things that we shouldn't be listening to. That's the kind of the story of our country today, isn't it? It's a very small group of very loud and angry people who really need some, get over some daddy issues, in my opinion. But they're running everything. And we're like, why are we listening to them? Don't be afraid of opposition. Because listen, if you're doing anything of value, someone will criticize you. In fact, if you're not getting criticism, you should be concerned. <laughs> because somebody's going to criticize you. Think about Jesus. The dude was perfect. He got a lot of criticism. So much so, they killed him. And he was perfect. So get over it. <laughs> You'll never, you, you're never perfect, so you're always going to get criticism. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't step out. So we step out, we make the decision, and there's this famous Zen proverb that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I believe it's after we've made the decision to be courageous that God says, all right, now, now that you've decided to take on this venture, let me tell you something. I've got the guidance you need, and as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit as our guide. You know, Jesus, right before he left the earth, he said this. He said, I have a lot more that I want to say to you. It's more than you can handle right now. Basically, Jesus said, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> it's that famous movie. I got so much truth I want to tell you, but you can't handle it. But he says, but when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will be your guide into all truth. And he won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. You know, Jesus was the fullness of truth in human form, and we're still trying to figure out how to live up to everything he said and did and asks of us. I don't know if, if you're like me. Every time I read the Bible, I've been reading the Bible for 44 years now, and every time I read the Bible, well, that's not true. I learned to read when I was four. So 40 years. I've been reading the Bible for 40 years now. 
Um, and every time I read the Bible, I, I think I know a verse, and then all of a sudden, in the season of life I'm in, I'll read the verse, and I'll be like, oh, I never saw that. It's because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow. The Word of God is this active thing that it, throughout our lives is revealing itself to us as we need that truth in that moment. So there's always truth revealing itself in the Scripture. And you say, well, I already, you know, I hear people say, well, I already know the Bible. I've already read that. I'm like, well, you ain't doing it right then because if you're doing it right, the Holy Spirit is always revealing new truth to you right when you need it. And it's like an onion. You know, the, the, the truth will set you free, but it tends to make you uncomfortable in the process. It's like cutting through an onion. I was cutting through an onion the other day and my daughter's across the room. She's like, Dad, my eyes are burning. I'm like, mine are too, sweetie. We're going to get through this. You know, eventually you get through that. But every layer you get through the onion, it's like it burns more and more and more. And that's the way truth is. It reveals itself slowly over time. And, and, and here's one of the challenges is I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to take anything but total truth. I'm like, <laughs> all we ever have is partial truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, we see through a glass darkly. One day we'll see like, and we'll know as we're known. But right now, all we ever have is partial truth. So in humility, we recognize there's always more to know, which keeps us in a place of humility. Because I've seen a lot of people that say, you know, well, I know the gospel says this. I'm like, yeah, the gospel does say some things very definitively. But there's a lot of truth that you still haven't seen that hasn't been revealed to you that's in that truth. And that's why some of the most mature and humble people you meet, they don't necessarily have all the black and white answers for everything. Because the, 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 in fact, scientific studies have shown that at any, any given point, we're only willing to give up about 5% of our current knowledge for something new. So sometimes a big truth will come and it's so true, so big truth, like the truth is so big, we don't even know how to assimilate it. We're only willing to give up about 5% of what we know to change our mind. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. But anyway, see, I'm already giving, I'm blowing your mind so much, you've only given me 5%. You don't even know where to go from there. Just kidding. We're, we're, truth is this powerful thing that if we knew the whole truth, it would crush us. So God says, I'm going to send the Spirit and He's going to guide you as you need it. And I believe He speaks. In the book, I say it this way. He speaks in 3.5 ways. So when I lead teams on outdoor adventures, I always make sure I have local guides, right? And I have a guide who takes the front. I have a guide in the middle, and then I have a guide in the back. And then I always kind of rotate between the front and the back, depending on who's there. So at any given point, we've got three, um, point five, point five guides pointing the way. And I believe the Holy Spirit speaks that way to us. So the first way he obviously speaks is through the Word of God. Like anything he says to you will always line up with principles in the Word of God. The second way he speaks to you, I think this is actually in, under the guide here. Is it under the guide section here? It's not in there. Okay. We'll have to add that to the small group material. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He also speaks through advisors and, and, and people in authority in our lives. I mean, there's, there's, you know, submission to authority. That's not a popular word today, like submission. Who wants to submit? But there's a safety that comes through submission. And when we submit to those people that God has put into our lives, those, those leaders, those spiritual authorities, that we've, there's a safety that comes with that. And, and, and this is the really challenging part. Most of us, we just want somebody to tell us, like a lot of times we just want somebody to tell us what to do. But a really good guide won't tell you what to do. What they'll do is they'll point you in a direction to seek the Lord. And I've had that so many times in my life. When I was a uh, 
I was, I guess, about 24, and I went and asked permission to marry my wife, Emily, from her dad. And I said, hey, can I marry her? He said, yes, you've got my permission. And I was going to propose to her the next week. We were going to go to Guatemala, which is where I grew up, and I was going to propose to her. Well, that night after I got permission to marry her, I got a phone call from a mentor of mine. And she called and she said, hey, Joel, I was just washing dishes and I felt like the Lord told me to call you and tell you the timing is wrong on something you're about to do. I was like, uh, well, I, I just, I'm going to propose to Emily. Is that it? And she goes, I don't know. You got to seek the Lord, but I feel like he's saying the timing's wrong on something. I'm like, you can't just call me and tell me that. I need more information. What else did the Lord tell you? She's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's it. You got to seek the Lord. And I was like, that's not an answer to me. She's like, I can't tell you what the Lord is saying to you. All I know is he told me to call you and tell you the timing's wrong. And I was like, what in the world? Like, the next morning, another mentor of mine calls and says, hey, Joel, I was on the way to work today. I feel like the Lord told me to call you and tell you the timing's wrong on something you're about to do. And I was like, did he give you any more information? He's like, no, that's all I got. He's like, I think you need to seek the Lord on what you're about to do. I'm like, well, I was about to ask permission. So I prayed, and I felt like the Lord said, yeah, it's not the right time to marry Emily. And I was very distraught about this. I had already bought the ring. I had already planned everything. And how do you go to a, a dad and say, hey, by the way, I think actually the Lord told me not to propose to your daughter after all. That doesn't go very well. But we waited a year. It was a year before I felt like the Lord gave me a peace to marry. And during that year, a bunch of crazy stuff happened that if we had gotten married during that year that we were planning to, it would have started our marriage off on a very rough footing. And I thank the Lord that he spoke to me through authorities in my life, mentors that I'd had in my life, people who had discipled me from from my teenage years, they spoke into my life, and they still do today. And every one of us, man, if you really want to hear from the Lord, you got to make sure that you've got people around you who aren't telling you what to do, but they're pointing you to principles and truths in the scripture, and they're helping you see things, blind spots that you may not see. Now, I rented this crazy, you know, rental cars are super expensive right now, right? And when I went, when I get, went to get the rental car for here, the cheapest rental car I could find was a Tesla. Has anybody driven a Tesla? It's freaking amazing. It's like a spaceship. But one of the cool things is when you turn on the blinker to go right, a camera flashes up on the screen here and it shows you everything in your blind spot. And I was like, how cool is that? And I think that's what mentors serve like for us sometimes. There's just huge areas sometimes we just can't see over our shoulder because we're too close to it. Like the car can be five feet from us, but we don't see it. And, and the Holy Spirit will send us these mentors that'll be like, hey, just FYI, normally when people do that stuff, the principle is, you know, the borrower is slave to the lender. Is it a sin to take out money? No, it's not a sin to take out a, a, a loan, but just know that you're going to be a slave to the guy that lent you the money, right? So is this the right time? So you seek counsel, and the counsel will guide you. And the Holy Spirit, he is our guide. He is our counselor, and he, he speaks through advisors in our life. The third way he speaks is through the inner voice. Now, this is weird. I've always, I've heard people say, you know, I just, I heard the inner voice within me, and then, and then they go and do something completely stupid, right? So the inner voice should always line up with what mentors in your life say and what the Bible says. But there is a real, very real truth that, you know, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, and I don't understand all of how it works. I don't have a doctorate in how this all works, but I know this. The spirit of God is actually living in you, guiding you in all truth, and he will speak to you sometimes, oftentimes when you don't want to hear it, but he'll speak to you, and it will always line up. It always should line up with what mentors around you. If you think you've heard something from the Lord, always run it past a mentor, and then always check it with the Bible, because the Bible will never contradict anything that you hear 
in the inner voice. The inner voice will never contradict anything you hear in the Bible. And then the point five, this is the way, another way that I've, I believe God speaks. And, and the reason I give it a point five status, not a full point, is because I don't think this should ever be used as, as, as a guide. I think it should always line up. And it's circumstances. Sometimes circumstances will line up really perfectly when God asks you to do something. But other times the circumstances will be far from perfect and you have to move forward in spite of the circumstances. So circumstances sometimes can be used to confirm what the guide is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us, but sometimes circumstances will look far from optimal and you have to move forward anyway. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is always going to be guiding you and he's going to guide you in the truth you need at the moment. If you're looking right now ahead, you're looking at some challenges ahead and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You can be certain that if you seek the Holy Spirit, he will be guiding you. And here's the really crazy part. I believe that as a follower of Christ, because the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, he is guiding you even when you don't realize it. I have seen over and over in my life that, man, he was guiding me in the path I needed, right? Even when I didn't realize it. And as I, I look back and I go, oh my goodness. And this is a really scary thing, but if the spirit of God is within you, St. Augustine said this, he said, Love God and do as you please. For the heart trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the beloved. And that's a scary proposition to me. Because basically what he's saying is, if you're following Christ to the best of your ability, if you ain't doing wrong, you're doing right. And that's scary to me because I'm like, most of the time I think I'm doing wrong. But the fact is, if you are doing your best to hear the voice of God and follow him, he's guiding you even when you don't realize. And, and, And oftentimes he'll be silent. And you go, God, I wish you would just tell me what to do. But what I've found is, the longer you walk with the Lord, the less he speaks to you in ways that you want him to speak to you. And the more he speaks to you in just a silent little whisper. And you have to listen. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, when you turn to the left or you turn to the right, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way walk there in it. And I've heard a lot of people say, I haven't heard anything from the Lord. And I say, well, that verse seems to indicate you'll only hear from him if you get off the path. If you're on the right path, do the last thing he told you. Just do the last thing he told you. I remember when I was in my junior year of college, I was sick of college. I was paying for it myself, out of pocket with cash. And I was sick of it. And I, I remember thinking, I got I to gotta get out of here. And I, uh, this, this smiling guy from across the, across the courtyard of the college, he called me. He's like, hey, hey, are you, are you sick of paying for college? And I was like, I am sick of paying for college. He's like, have I got a deal for you? I was like, what's the deal? He's like, sign right here on this dotted line. And you can finish college and the military will pay for it. And then all you got to do is give us four years. And I was like, yes, my way out. So I called my dad. He was in the Navy. And he's like, I was like, he's going to be excited about this. I said, dad, I feel like the Lord spoke to me. I think I'm going to join the Navy. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, well, why are you going to do that? I was like, well, I just, the Lord hasn't told me anything and I need some direction and this guy showed up and I think it was the Lord. And he's like, well, let me ask you a question. What was the last thing the Lord told you to do? And I was like, well, he told me to finish college. And he's like, have you done that? Like, well, no. He's like, maybe you should do that first and then seek the Lord on what you're supposed to do next. Finish your last assignment. Maybe that's why he's been so quiet. Maybe you're doing the right thing. He's like, I'm all for the Navy. I was in the Navy. But he's like, I think you're trying to jump ahead of God because he's silent and you want him to give you turn-by-turn directions. But oftentimes, he already gave you instructions and you just need to follow through on it. And I did. And I didn't end up in the Navy. Thank thank goodness. I think the Navy would have kicked me out. I'm kind of rebellious. But uh, anyways, the Holy Spirit will guide you as you're on the path. 
And then we come to the next step. But first, it's time for dinner. So uh, we're going to do dinner is in the hall back here. Or you guys call it supper around here, don't you? Supper. Yeah. What's that? You'll handle it? Okay, cool. All right. So what I want to encourage you guys to do is... um, you know, I've been blowing through this material, but over the, over the next few days before Wednesday comes, maybe work your way through these. There's, I think there's, we'll, we'll go through six of them tonight. And maybe work through this, maybe one in the morning, one in the evening. And they're just simple little questions to ask of kind of like tracking where, where, how your story fits in with this circle here. And if, hopefully you'll find that this resonates with you. But um, we'll be, after, after dinner, we'll jump into what's called the decision. The idea that if you commit to the path, the way will open to you. So has this... Y'all have been super quiet, and I've found usually when people are super quiet, it's because they're thinking. So hopefully you, this has got you thinking. But if you have any questions or anything I haven't made clear, track me down at, at, uh, at dinner, and I'm happy to answer any questions for you.